Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of First Baptist Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. I'm Pastor Josh Hall, and I want to invite you to join us in our new Bible study on the attributes of God, based on Dr. Steve Lawson's curriculum on the attributes of God. Join us now on our Bible study already in progress. We are in the midst of our study on the attributes of God, and I hope that last week was a blessing to you. Uh, it has been a blessing to me in studying, uh, in studying uh, the, the Bible and learning more of how to worship the Lord and drawing closer to Him. As you, if you have your booklet from last week, good. If you forgot it, uh, take notes on your hands and on paper and whatever. Don't well, actually don't take notes on your hands because I got a phone number from a visitor last week and I wrote it on my hand and then I washed my hands like we do all the time now and now I don't have that person's number but I'm in the process of getting that person's number. Okay, so take the notes. Uh, go back to your booklet. If you do not have a booklet, see me after the service. Um, we have purchased the right to print those off, and I don't want to print off more than what we've purchased, and I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, purchase more than we need to as well. So if you want uh, to be a part of this, uh, I want to encourage you to see me afterwards if you don't have that booklet. It's also very important for you to know, if you're following the outline tonight, <laughs> you're you're going to miss it all, okay, because I've deviated a little bit from the outline tonight, okay? I'm Josh, okay? You know this about me. You know this about me. Let's begin with a reading from God's Word. Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 through 4. God's Word says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, no children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Let me ask you this question again. What comes into your mind when I say the name, or when I say the word, God. What comes into your mind when I say the name God is the single most important thing there is to know about you. Nothing else matters, really. If you knew everything else in the world, if you uh, knew uh, how uh, every virus works, and if you knew the answers to all of the biggest problems that plague society or science or math, any, anything, if you knew all those things and what you knew about God was insufficient, none of that would matter. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says this, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. That's pretty sobering, I think, for us today to think about that the condition of our society is a direct reflection on what our society views about God and what is their accountability to him and what is he like. 
what we seek to do over the next several weeks is to adjust our mindset to scriptural, a scriptural view of who our God is. It doesn't matter the idol that we've configured in our mind about who God is. As a matter of fact, we should be very willing to abandon such an idol. We don't want to serve a worthless God who is ineffective, who is insufficient. We want to serve the God of the Bible, and we want to know who the God of the Bible is. As we begin tonight, let me remind you of our three warnings. Number one, this study is not for you to know more about God. I don't want for you to be a scholar when it comes to doctrinal things or what the Bible says if there is an absence of relationship and intimacy with our God. When you have good doctrine, it should produce good worship. Good theology should, should promote that. It's too often it doesn't. I could give you thousands of instances, but we don't have that time tonight. Second warning is this. God is ultimately unknowable. We cannot fathom uh, the depths of who God is. Uh, it's just impossible. Some people say that and they give up. But for us, it's just learning more and more and more and more. And all of eternity will be like, oh, he's much more awesome than he was the momentless moment before I said this last statement. And oh, by the time I get to the end of this sentence, I find out this other awesome and wonderful thing about our God. You want to talk about how heaven is glorious and wonderful. Don't talk about all of the things that you hope are going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. God is going to be there, and we're going to have perfect fellowship with him. So the first warning is, I don't want you to just know about God. Second warning is, he's ultimately unknowable. Let that be an encouragement to you as you continue to learn. You'll never be a know-it-all when it comes to him. And number three, knowing him, knowing him will change you. It's now that we come to the attribute of God that we want to highlight tonight. We will highlight 14, 15 attributes of God. Okay, God's unknowable, and so 15 weeks is not really that long of a series, okay? So don't say, oh, 15 weeks of this, okay? There's a lot to know uh, when it comes to our God and what the Scripture says. The first attribute, one of the very distinct and clear biblical attributes of God that we want to look at tonight is the self-existence of God. The self-existence of God. It's also known as the aseity of God, which comes from the Latin from and self, okay? I just had to tell you that so you knew that I could read what someone else said it says in Latin. <laughs> it's the self-existence of God. It's also referred to as the independence of God. Wayne Grudem gives the best definition of the self-existence of God in his book on systematic theology, and he says this, the self-existence of God is that God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. Let me say that again. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. 
if I could add to that definition, I would say not only does he not need us or the rest of creation, but I would just like bold in anything. God does not need anything to exist. If I can quote again this book by A.W. Tozer, he says, The child, by his question, where did God come from, is unwittingly acknowledging his creaturehood. Already the concept of cause and source and origin is firmly fixed in his mind. He knows that everything around him came from something other than itself, and he simply extends that concept upward towards God. But we can understand this. What the Bible teaches about our God is that he has always existed. He is, he is self-existent. He has no origin. Let's dive deep into this. I have two points tonight and a few sub-points. Number one, I want you to know this and take it to the bank. God does not need us. Let me personalize this. God does not need Josh. God does not need you to exist. We require a lot to exist. As a matter of fact, over the last year, we've really discovered how much we actually require, what needs we actually have as we've run to the grocery store and discovered that things that we thought that we needed are not there. And so we've got to figure out how to make it the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks until those items are restocked. We require an awful lot to exist. Think about how you got here today. Think about all of the events of today, the things that you require to exist. You require food, okay? Behind that is a whole nother, I mean, just like a huge level of things that are required to bring you that food. You need the the farmers who, who do their job in planting, you need those who process things. There's all, we need air to breathe. Uh, we, have, we require a lot to exist. Scientists, when exploring the uttermost parts of the universe, uh, look for habitable zones. That are zones uh, that have Earth-like uh, Earth -like planets that, uh, that orbit around a star, that, that orbit in such a way or in a zone where they can contain water, where they can contain liquid, which many scientists consider to be essential to life. If life, for them, I guess they would define if life looks like what it looks like here, okay? There's a habitable zone, okay? We live in that habitable zone. We're able to enjoy, uh, we're able to enjoy all this different kinds of weather, 70 degrees, 30 degrees, and here in Arkansas, that's just two days, Okay? We're able to enjoy the sun. We're able to experience the rain. All of this we need. And so it's difficult for us to comprehend that there is one who exists who is in need of nothing. And yet the Bible teaches, that, teaches us that God does not only, not only does he not need us, but if I'm having a sub point here, the first sub point of this would be that God is not in need of anything. There's nothing that we can do to add to him. There's nothing from us that he needs for his existence. Acts chapter 17 in verses 24 through 25, Paul, when preaching in Athens to the most religious people of the day, the most they would consider themselves enlightened people of the day, 
In preaching the gospel to them, he would say in verse 24 of chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The concept in the world today at large when it comes to religion is that God needs us to add to him. He needs our worship, for example. He needs our obedience to to, uh, allow him to exist. He needs these certain things. But the God of the Bible is a self-existent God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Uh, What we can bring to him with our hands is very small in comparison to who he is. He does not need us in the least bit. Right now, currently, God is in need of nothing. In Job chapter 41 and verse 11, God speaks to Job and he says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything on this earth belongs to the Lord. You cannot be serving him and you still belong to him. That does not mean that you are saved by him. That does not mean that you are his child. But that means that you are his creation. We all belong to him. Whatever's under the whole heaven is mine, he tells Job. In Psalm chapter 50 in verses 10 through 12, speaking of the self-existent God, the psalmist would say, For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So here he says, I'm not even hungry. Even if I were, I wouldn't ask you because I wouldn't need you. Everything is mine. He is self-existent. He requires nothing currently to satisfy him. Nothing to add to his being, to make him more like God. Secondly, God has never been in need of anything. Maybe you've heard that God was lonely in eternity past, and so he created the earth and created human beings so that he could have fellowship. But that's not a biblical concept. God has never, ever needed a thing outside of himself to exist what the scripture teaches us. Jesus alludes to this in the gospel of John in chapter 17, verse 5, when he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, before anything existed in creation, God was there. And he was fully satisfied in and of himself. The fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, was was always uh, glorifying and satisfactory to him. You know, we think in part of eternity correctly. We think of the fact that we are not going to have an end. Most people in the world believe in an afterlife of some kind. They believe that somehow their spirit, their soul will continue on. We believers, we know that for those of us who've repented of our sins and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, that God has prepared a place for us in heaven and we will spend an eternity with him. But I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, as we think about eternity, yes, we have a birth date and then we will never end. Our souls will either spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven or eternity separated from him in a 
real place called hell. But I want you to know this about God. There's no beginning. There's no beginning. Now, we can't get that past our minds because everything has a beginning. Everything has a start time, but not God. He has always existed before the creation of time and space, completely satisfied in himself, fellowship in and of himself. They com- the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, completely delighted in one another. They've always existed. He was there at the beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning, he wasn't working on himself. He wasn't, he didn't, uh, wasn't birthed into existence. He always existed. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When you want to really have an idea of how tiny you are, think about this. God has always existed. All There has never been a time when he has not existed. Psalm 93, 2 says, Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. God didn't achieve his way to a throne. As other religions, people who claim to be Christians would teach that he is just one of many gods, and if we follow him, we will be like one of many gods. That's not the truth. The truth. He has always been on his throne. He has always been in control. He did not spontaneously exist. He's always been there. Before the angels ever sang, before heaven was ever made, God was there. Before any plant came up on the earth, God was there. And think about this. If there ever was nothing, there could never be something. Something doesn't come from nothing. If there ever was nothing, there could never be something. And if there is now something, then there could never be nothing. That ain't that something. (laughs) To say that there is nothing in the beginning would say that there could be nothing. Something doesn't come from nothing, and it doesn't require much logic to put those two together. Even today in the scientific community, when you begin to look at origins, there is and there has to be uh, some type of faith in some, something that has always existed, some universal law perhaps, or some universal material. Some would say maybe gravity. But friends, I want you to know uh, something didn't come from nothing. In the beginning, God existed. And the reason that we are here today is that God has always existed. So, under this first headline, you saw that God is not in need of anything. God has never been in need of anything. And then now I want us to see that God will never be in need of anything. Ever. Ever. God loves us. He takes great joy in us. He sent his son for us. This is not a commentary on God not wanting us. That's not what's being said. God loves the world so much. You want to know how much God loves the world? He sacrificed his only son 
to bring salvation to the world. This is not a commentary on what God wants. This is a commentary on what God needs. And our God is self-existent. He needs nothing. He never has needed anything. He does not need anything. And there will never be a time when he will run old, where he will run out of tricks in his bag. There will never be a time where he is, his abilities are too short and he is unable. God will never be a need of a single thing. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 14, when Moses is being introduced to this self-existent God, he would tell God in that burning bush, who should I tell Pharaoh is sending me? To which God would reply, you tell them, I am that I am. In that name, we can understand this. Not only the unchangeable nature of God, but you can understand this. He is self-existent forever and ever and ever. He is never in need of a singular thing. I just think it's wonderful. When the Bible opens up in the beginning of his creation, God is there. And in the book of Revelation, when the books are closed and the curse is made right, and justice is performed when the redeemed stand in his presence. And in those last words, when Jesus is speaking to John, and John says, the spirit and the bride say, come. He says, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He was there in the beginning when it opened. And in the end, he's there. He will never be in need of anything to exist. My second point will be very quick. My first point was this. God does not need us. He wants us. He wants you. He does not need you to exist. But number two, we need God. He is the source of life. All life finds its being in him. In Acts 17, 28, Paul says, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In John chapter one and verses two through four, Jesus, or what John will say of Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The author of life, the originator of life, the keeper of life is our God. We need him. Those who run from him need him. I was, I've used this illustration before. Several years ago, I was looking for a new stand-up comedian to try to watch. And I turned on a certain comedian on Netflix and turned it off after like three minutes. But one of the opening jokes that he was, was picking fun at actually who Jesus was. And I remember going, in the world? I mean, like, I know that you always push the boundaries in comedy, but, I mean, where is any type of reverence? Where is any type of fear? And I was thinking about it later. Here he was picking on, as a matter of fact, as I was preparing to turn it off, someone in the audience uh, was a believer that he pointed out, and he began to make fun of them. Which is like a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible Netflix special, right? So I turned it off. But I'm thinking later, and I'm thinking, you know what? 
what I know of the Bible and what, what I know of our God is this. If it weren't for our God's graciousness and mercy, we couldn't have one cell attached to one another right now. So even in defiance of God, those people who hate him and curse him and curse his people, the only reason that they have breath in their lungs is not because of, of, of their parents' love for one another. It's not a result of biology. It's not a result of, of a good uh, um, a physical condition or, or their health. It's not a result of the society around them. The only reason that someone can sit there and even curse God, can even have air to breathe out of their lungs, is because God is holding them together even in that very moment. Colossians 1 and verse 17 says that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's why Isaiah, when he comes before the exalted king's presence in heaven, and he sees the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. And what are his words? He says, woe is me. I am undone. He falls out. I'm a man of unclean lips. When he says, I'm undone, he's literally saying, I don't know how one molecule of my body is staying attached to the other in your presence. But we know God holds all things together. We are not self-existent. We depend upon something. We depend upon the one who is self-existent. He is the source of life. Physically, he's the source of all life. Spiritually, he is the source of all life. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. But not only is he the source of life, that's why we need God, but he is the point of life. Romans 11 and 36, the scripture teaches us of Jesus, this great mystery that Paul is by the Holy Spirit revealing to the church in Rome. He sings this great doxology of how we can't be separated from God. And then he says this about Jesus. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. The point of all of life is Jesus and his glory. And he will receive glory from every human being that has ever been on this planet. Whether or not they bow the knee here, there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at the Old Testament. All these people trying to exert their own wheels and yet all all that ever happens all that ever happens is that he gets glory only God can take uh, Cain slaying his brother Abel and turn it into Seth being born and turning it into Abraham being called and turning that into setting apart a nation and turning that into taking his nation down to Egypt and then opening up the Red Seas before him. Only God can take a hard-hearted Pharaoh and open up a sea so that his people can walk through. Every time someone tries to go against God, they do it to their own peril because no matter what, he's going to receive glory. They may be on the other end of that, but either way, our God will receive glory. Why? He is the point of life. Uh, several brothers and sisters that I've spoken with, all of us want to know what's our point in life. What, why are we here? He's the point. He's the point. 
draw near to him while we're here. Draw near to him. Allow him to produce fruit in your life. You may say, my life is at such a point, or I've endured such difficulties, but I wonder, what is the point? Friends, he's the point. He's no, he knows what he's doing. He has your days in his hands. He has them numbered. He's got a good plan for you. He is the point of life. Now, all of this, all of this should bring us great joy and fellowship with God. Why? Because if I acknowledge that he is self-existent and I go to the scripture and I reflect on those passage, passages that point out how our God is in need of nothing, I all of a sudden have freedom to come with him with anything. A famous preacher was once preaching on this very topic. At the end of the service, a lady came to him and said, Preacher, she put her hand in his hand. Can I take my little things to God? To which he looked back to her and, and responded, Ma'am, all that you have to give to him are little things. When he is God, there's no issue that's too big. He's the self-existent God. So what are those issues that you said are too big for him? There are no big issues when it comes to God. Today, We've learned about the self-existence of God. And my desire, what God has been working on in my heart, is just, wow, that's you. I'm going to be able to spend an eternity with you, but like right now, I get to serve the one who needs nothing but takes joy in my something or nothing, however you want to see it. We serve the self-existent God. And I'm so glad that we do. Anything less, by the way, and he wouldn't be God. Any, any, any this rogue molecule, I, I know I'm out of time, but any rogue, if there were one rogue molecule in all of creation, this will be something I'll get to later. If there were one rogue molecule outside of his authority, he wouldn't be God. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. He is this self-existent God. And I hope that this week you worship him as such. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, what a joy it is to serve you. And even in that, we can call you Father. Lord, I know around this room, my brothers and sisters have served you. And if collectively we took all of the numbers, we could say that we've served you for many, many, many years. But Lord, let these years be the sweetest. Let these years be the years that we draw closer to you. Let these years be defined by our worship and our obedience. Let these years be defined by our heart to serve and to love you with more fervor than at any other point in time in our lives. And Lord, with everything that we have in us, we want to lay before your throne because God, you are worthy, our self-existent God. You don't need a thing, and yet you want me. What a joy. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. 
We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.